You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for April 8th, 2016. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from Andrew Sullivan, see, it was all a joke, world tour. It's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. said it was a sabbatical drift glass all of yeah. a sudden 14 month sabbatical yeah they're they're really getting the band back together the the, <laughs> the media is really pulling in everybody from every corner of the earth um that has thoroughly discredited themselves over the last 10 years uh it, msnbc put ann coulter on the air believe it or not barf um, barf <laughs> later in the week uh joe scarborough just handed the microphone over to bill crystal again smirking unindicted, war criminal, blood-drunk sociopath who's wrong about everything to, to talk about politics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and nobody says nothing anymore. Nobody says a word. You can tell that the, the war is over yeah. because it doesn't even raise an eyebrow. It's just, oh, they won. No, Bill Crystal gets to go on the air now. But the same day Bill Crystal's on there, who shows back up on MSNBC in the company of Chris Matthews, as it was in the days of old? But Andrew Sullivan, Andrew fucking Sullivan, who was on a sabbatical. I thought he had gone to a, a higher plane of existence where this nattering political nonsense would not trouble his soul. He was well, on a... And I re even I remember January of 2015, he left. He cut yeah. off his blog. He said, a note to my readers, I'm out of here. Yep. And it wasn't, yep. I'm leaving to take a little time to be away and think my thoughts and meditate. He was gone. I'm gone. I'm not coming back. I'm gone. This is, this part of my life is over. I'm going to read long books and mm -hmm. I'll write awesome things in book form. But I'm done with this. This mm -hmm. is over. And I kind of wonder now if that was some sort of, it took 18 months or whatever to unwind whatever contractual obligations he had. Oh. But he could restart his career as a oh, as a, doing yeah. exactly the same shit he was doing before. And you know what? If he had walked, if he had spent that time walking in the world, out in the cornfield, I would have given him a guided tour uh, <laughs> of Springfield and shown him people that he should talk to. I was going to uh, say, if he had spent the time with Matt Taibbi, I think that was your other suggestion, wasn't it? Yeah. Just go yeah. to Kentucky with Matt Taibbi and interview Rush Limbaugh listeners for a month. Yeah, just just skip. So you could really get to know what the Republican Party is like. Yeah, and uh, that didn't happen. Nope. Uh, instead, uh, he apparently stayed in the same ten square mile bubble that he lives has lived in his entire life in Washington D.C. Um, and he now has taken a gig at is it New York Magazine? Yep, New York Magazine. New York Magazine writing about politics, writing about the convention. Uh, you know, they 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 kept pulling. They, they tried to get out, but they kept pulling it back in. Blue gal, <laughs> I tried to get out. But, yeah. And apparently, they I don't know what they did. Wave money in front of. I know that he mentioned that he wants to write books, and so he blew in a call to his old friend, who is now the editor there, and now now he has an impressive title. He's some sort of contributing editor, or contributing managing editor, or senior contributing managing editor which is a very nice thing to have on your resume. Uh, and, of course, then he blew in a phone call or vice versa to his old friend Chris Matthews. And so and, can you get into Ta-Nehisi Coates and what that – that sure. was apparently the only long book he read, which is about yeah. 90 pages. 
and got it wrong. Uh, yeah, Andrew Sullivan has been an, a rolling dumpster fire on on several subjects his entire career. He does not understand conservatism at all in America. He he has a dorm room bong hit version of conservatism that he really believes is is lurking out there somewhere, just waiting, waiting to be I don't know invoked or or conjured into existence. But he just disregards the entire conservative infrastructure from think tanks to Fox News to the Wall Street Journal to Ann Coulter to hate radio to the pulpits to the political parties and just sweeps them aside and says none of that is conservatism. So he doesn't know jack about conservatism. He also doesn't know anything about uh, politics. He's just terrible at, at actual politics. And But he, what he really sucks at is race. Mm-hmm. Andrew Sullivan, Sullivan does not know shit all about race. And he has been a joke. I mean, he was an early defender and a continual defender of the incredibly racist, eugenic scientist, uh, fake science, Charles Murray and the bell curve. And he just won't ever give it up because his I, the idea that there's a structural um, problem with race in America is completely antithetical to his fantasy of what conservatism in America should be. Therefore, it must not exist. Mm-hmm. There, and, and who better than a, a gay, white, Tory, Catholic uh, to come swinging into this country and tell us how race should be in this country and how, how all of our concerns about Trayvon Martin and Black Lives Matter and structural racism and people getting shot by cops and uh, long-term incarceration is just a bunch of nonsense, just a bunch of fussy nonsense. So he decides that having read and misread Ta-Nehisi Coates's book, um, that he would launch into a, a long explanation of how Ta-Nehisi Coates is a Marxist, a neo-Marxist. In fact, not just Ta-Nehisi Coates. The entire left is this neo-Marxist. They've been swept so far to the left that they're now just neo-Marxist, especially, especially on the subject of race. Wow. Because, again, who better than a privileged white Tory gay Catholic asshole who was, wasn't raised here and has and is taken great pains to never, ever get his hands dirty with actual American history, uh, to tell us, us, the poor groundlings in America, what is and isn't true about race in our country. Fuck you, Andrew Sullivan. But of I course, said that in Twitter. You did. You did. You were very <laughs> impolite. It is like it's 2004 all over again. It is. Andrew Sullivan is lecturing liberals <laughs> on how they should behave, and we're telling you to fuck up. And he's on television and we're not. Yeah. That's, that, again, that's become full circle. Andrew yeah. Sullivan is is once again welcomed, cut right to the front of the line. Uh, he he's a person who mentions, you know, who talks about where he will get his book published, not yeah. if he will get his book published, <laughs> because he has he's one of those people who is a permanent laminate backstage pass to the Beltway Media trough. Yeah, and nothing he does, no matter how ridiculous or ludicrous or outrageous or wrong, compl- just completely fucking wrong, he is will ever get him ejected from the hog trough where they all feed. Uh, Dr. Fuss, which, I just have a question for you about that, yes, though. Yes, because it appeared to me that Chris Matthews sort of had him on as a contractual obligation of some kind. Because, um, you know, he comes on and he just sort of spouts all of this really, really, really controversial nonsense. First of all, he sure. took Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, which is the National Book Award winner, Yes. And dissed it, which is a plea for attention. Yes. Oh, exactly. You know, the whole the whole appearance was just I'm back. I'm going to wave shit in the air so that people will talk about me. And I right. hate to be a participant in that, yeah. except to say, fuck you, Andrew Sullivan. 
Well, but, and, and when I get to be president of MSNBC, he was never going to get on camera. <laughs> but they don't listen to people like me or you. They don't no. care about people like me or you. No, I know. Uh, and yeah. I, I figure our job, or at least my job, um, is to look at what they're doing and report to our listeners exactly how com- how corrupt and broken the media is because it's the only vessel through which we receive information about what's going on in our country and it's right. completely screwed i mean it's completely mm-hmm. corrupt if andrew sullivan can get back on television and back uh, having a senior and editorial talk about job, race and, and talk about race writing about politics did. and race yep then on the same day that Bill Crystal's on the air, the same week that Ann Coulter is on my liberal television. At that point, it's a conspiracy. It's a yeah. conspiracy. And yeah. speaking of which, yeah, David Brooks wrote a column today. We're <laughs> we're recording this on, uh, on Friday, <clears throat> and as uh, as you know, I have a I have a thing, I have a penchant for uh, David Brooks uh, uh, stuff. I'm a mm-hmm. collector. I'm a I'm a aficionado. Mm-hmm. And it might this might be the most ridiculous column I have read by him in a long time. There's, there are a lot of contenders over the many, many, many years I've been covering Mr. Brooks. But this delusional claptrap that he wrote today about how here's what's going to happen. See uh, what could happen now that it's all about delegates, not candidates, a secret cohort of responsible Republicans who are delegates could sort of infiltrate the convention in their George Wallace wigs and their Pat Buchanan noses. <laughs> and when nobody's looking, they would cast off their disguises <laughs> and seize control of the convention and insist that Donald Trump and and Ted Cruz be reasonable. Oh, my you know, God. Sort of, sort of shepherd them back towards reasonableness. Mm-hmm. Or failing that, uh, they would be the place where the new Republican Party would be started after the apocalypse of uh, the November election. Mm-hmm. Or that they could just go with David Brooks on his airship and fly to the moon where they would live with the king and queen of the moon and eat moon cheese for the rest of their lives. Because that's just as reasonable as the fantasy that there is some large and yet mysteriously silent group of reasonable David Brooks conservatives who are members of the Republican Party, who are delegates to the Republican Party, who have in their mind what their party should look like just happens to look exactly like what David Brooks wants the party to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And David Brooks was paid actual money, American money, to write this Whig fan fiction, which I would just point out is the thousandth time he has written this bullshit. He is always writing about just around the corner, this group of reasonable people. And again, at some point you have to say, oh, this is a conspiracy. David Brooks knows he's lying. Andy Rosenthal, who hire, who, who employs him, knows he's lying. Yeah. Uh, the family that owns the New York Times knows he's lying. The person who's coming in from the Atlantic magazine, by the way, Mr. Rosenthal is departing. Um, and the editor from the Atlantic, the people that employ uh, Ron, Ron Fournier, mm-hmm. to take over the op-ed page of the New York Times, knows he's lying. All of his colleagues know he's lying. All of them know that Bill Crystal is lying. All of them know that Ann Coulter is lying. All of them know that Andrew Sullivan is just insane and full of shit. And yet, these are the people who can never be dislodged from their permanent positions in the media constellation. And that's. And, wh- and I have to add someone to this list as well in the constellation. Paul Ryan today. Oh, yes. Uh, he's released an ad for some. Well, I guess because he's running for re-election to the House, right? He has to. Yeah. So uh, this ad that he's done, though, is um, full of buzzwords that 
uh, do somehow belie the fact that, oh, no, 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 I'm not running for president at all. Mm-hmm. He uses words like common humanity. That's right. We all want to be prosperous. We want people to reach their potentials. Me too. Liberals and conservatives are going to disagree. No problem. Sure, that happens. So let's have a battle of ideas. That's right. I, I, I heard that playing in the other room, and I thought, oh, that old Reagan ad. <laughs> it is that old yeah. Reagan ad. Yeah. You know, it's morning. It's, it's late morning in America. Late morning in America. You know? And there's a bear in the woods. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> isn't it a good thing that Paul Ryan is sitting there with a shotgun in case that bear comes for your children or something like that? Or He should have hired me. I'll do a whispery voice, a whisper. <laughs> Isn't it time that we all got together and agreed that liberals are to blame for everything? <laughs> Can't we all agree that we can Obamacare, unify America? We yes. can, yeah, because Obamacare murdered your grandmother, and <laughs> and Social Security is really a remnant of a bygone era. We don't need but to go it back really, to those it, it really is at this point fant. I mean, they have to escape into fantasy. Yeah, they all do. They all do, and that's and and that's what happens. That's the You're, gift that Donald Trump has given the Republican Party. And they're all, you know, this is a, this is breaking the, um, uh, this is breaking the Hitler illusion law that I break with, with. <laughs> it's too late for that immunity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Godwin's law is what you're Godwin's thinking. Law. Yeah. I yeah. just, yeah, I, I flagrantly break it all the time, but they're down in the bunker. Yeah. Celebrating because eventually Steiner will come save us. Steiner's going Steiner. to save us. Yeah. And that right. really is David Brooks's fantasy at this point mm-hmm. he really is back in iraq and there's some invisible army that we haven't ever seen before that doesn't actually exist who will sweep in at the last minute and save us from total disaster and david brooks is in the bunker screaming for army group steiner to come and save him yeah. there is yeah. no army group steiner there is and, no one but, but here's the difference well there's a lot of differences everyone knows it's a lie yeah everyone knows david brooks is lying well, people are openly saying lose with Cruz in the republican yeah. party there are people yeah. openly saying that there are senators going on cnn and saying well no i'm really not endorsing ted cruz he's just my only choice left so right. and once we break the back of the donald trump people mm-hmm. when they arrive for short i mean I'm, i really am looking forward to this army of people who thought they've won yep yeah uh, and you know who wrote an on I won't, I won't dwell on this who wrote a completely honest column about this was Charles Krauthammer. Yeah, yeah. That, I gotta that, say, you know, the the Trump voters are their feet are in the cement. He said, right. you know. Yeah. Of course, he didn't. Budget. He did what he didn't mention though, Drift Glass. Uh huh. He he mentioned all of that that the, the Trump voters can't will not change their mind about Trump no matter what you tell them. That's right. What he didn't say <laughs> is. They've been listening to Fox News for 20, 30 years, uh-huh. and they didn't change their mind about Fox News. So why would they change their mind if they've convinced they're right about Trump? Yeah, so we, we're we not going to talk about, about guys. <laughs> we're not going to talk about how they got the syphilis. <laughs> uh, we're just going to talk about the fact that they have that body parts are falling off at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have to change was, gears, Drift Glass. Sure. I'm just saying he, he was very accurate about the fact that you have this immovable force and this yep. irresistible object that are coming yep. together in Cleveland, and yep. there's nothing you can do to stop it at this You're point. You're not going to change it, yeah. Yep. Uh, we have to talk a little bit about the Democratic side, because uh, I, I love what Chris Hayes said last night, Thursday, mm-hmm. about how it really is a bad game of telephone going on between Hillary and Bernie. It is. And, uh, you know, they're not, they're exhausted, first of all, and they're not talking to one another, and... Uh, I really do blame three people for what has happened this week between them and how it got so hot so fast. First, I blame the Washington Post headline writer who decided to say not qualified in the headline 
of you know Hillary Hillary hints that Bernie's not qualified, which is all Bernie Sanders had time or energy to read was the headline. And yep. then I also blame Joe Scarborough, who started yes. this whole thing by insisting over he asked Hillary Clinton three times, so does this mean he's unqualified? Does this mean he's unqualified? And, you know, Bernie had, a whether you want to justify it or not, a really bad interview. He did. With, he did. With the New York Daily News. It was bad. And it yeah. was perceived as bad. And perception is 90% of reality in politics anyway. And just, we're ask, allowed, just ask Howard Dean. And we, <laughs> and we are allowed to say that our candidates made a mistake and had or a had bad, a bad, bad day. Yeah. 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 We're allowed to say that. Yes. Uh, so here is, um, you know. They're exhausted. Both of them, you know, their voices are crank cracking and they're giving speeches and they're traveling constantly. Uh-huh. And, you know, Clinton is 69 and Bernie is 74 and it's yeah. just not easy. And, yeah. and they're both doing great. They're both human beings. They're running a marathon <laughs> and they're both considering the amount of pressure and yeah. time and, and, and events they, they have to do. They're both doing really well. The third person is Jeff Weaver, who is Bernie Sanders' campaign manager. And this is just so parallels what happened in 2008 that is kind of creepy. Yeah, it really remember, is. Remember Hillary Clinton had Mark Penn? Mark Penn, absolutely, yep. And yep. She, Mark Penn was out there and was a celebrity on the news, the talking head circuit, talking about Hillary Clinton. Uh-huh. And uh, in the meantime, Barack Obama's campaign manager, David Plouffe, was back in the computer room counting votes, counting money, raising money, and uh, organizing. I yes. mean, that was really his job, was to organize people. Uh-huh. And now Bernie Sanders is not being served well no. by no, this guy. No. He's not. And uh, I'm sh- you know, this this idea that you have to you have your campaign manager at your shoulder saying, you got to push back, you got to punch back, you got to punch harder, um, really is a disservice to Bernie Sanders. It's it is. not he's doing he's doing really well on fundraising. He's doing really well on crowds. And he's certainly uh, the most on message candidate I've seen yeah. in a, a long time. He is Cl- just... a Clinton 92 focusing yeah. on the economy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, would have yep. been, you know, you can drop a light on him. You can talk about your your, your affairs. You can do anything you want. And he's going to go right back to his economic message. Mm-hmm. Boop, boop, boop. And that's that's what Bernie Sanders has done. And those are all amazingly strong pluses for him. Uh-huh. For him to turn into cranky old guy yeah, uh, who didn't read the whole article makes him look terrible. It and does. Uh, so this morning he went on, uh, which one? NBC, I think he went on. Um, mm-hmm. And he's and he said, no, I, you know, Clinton's qualified. Of course, she's qualified. He'd had a night's sleep, you know, right. and been able to right. read up on this and maybe watch a couple shows <laughs> and realize she didn't say what everybody said she said or what yeah. Scarborough was trying to get her to say. And and he's he's walked it back. Now, um, speaking of cranky old guys, Bill yes. Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> God, God, what happened to Bill Clinton? Well, Bill Clinton uh, had open heart surgery. Yeah, had open heart surgery a while ago, which does ha- tend to change your personality or can. Uh-huh. But I really like what Joy Reid said about him last night, which is, you know, what happened in the 90s was a different world. It was. It, and I went and looked at the crime statistics for 90 to 95. Uh-huh. And the uh, homicide rate for people from the age of 14 to 24 jumped 150 percent in that era. Mm-hmm. It was a problem, yes. and and I 
you know, looking back with 2020 vision, it was handled in uh, not the best way. And there are, uh, we can learn from that. You know, I think we can learn from all of that. Uh, But, you know, here's Clinton's legacy being dismantled because it's not the answer for today. Right. And And it uh, never is. The last generation's answers are usually they have a they have a freshness date on them. Yep, exactly. Exactly. They time out. And and his approach, the the right answer. Mm -hmm. By the way, I I know the guy who who constructed the sentence that would have saved Bill Clinton from impeachment. Yeah, you've talked about that before. (laughs) Yes. I we had um what was it? Inappropriate but unconsummated. Yeah. Now that's a consummated relationship. Yeah. Um, But anyway, getting back to this, I want to get to Black Lives Matter and Clinton. The right answer was you're right. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time, 20 years ago, I did the best I could to save as many people, as many children as I thought I could. Mm -hmm. It was bad. It was really bad. If you didn't live through it, you might not realize it. But I I did the best I could and I made some really bad mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, All I can tell you is my heart was in the right place and I asked for your forgiveness, period. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Done. End of story. But he wants to hang on to his mantle. Well, his presidential legacy, which yeah. everyone who's been president would want to do. That's all you've got left, you know. Right. So um, I understand that. I also understand that with, with the Black Lives Matter people that are holding up the signs about super predators, which is something Hillary Clinton said 30 years ago. Right. And believe me, I know church members who hold on to a grudge for longer than <laughs> that. <laughs> She has apologized. She has walked it back. She has said she was she that that word was wrong to use, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make any difference. No. And what is being uh, raged against is the fact that all of this black incarceration and all of this injustice cannot be erased. You cannot give it back. You can't give right. those years back to the African American citizens of this country. You can't erase it or undo it. It is yep. done. And that is a tragedy that we must learn from. And she needs to say that. I can't give back the years that people have lost to injustice. But I can learn from it and move forward. But that I don't think I think there are people um, and I think there are people in other movements as well that, Mm -hmm. you know, even though we now have gay marriage, even though we now have uh, people like Disney pushing for gay rights, uh, Things have been taken away from certain people that they will never get back. And yeah. you cannot fix that. You can't fix it. Um, so, you, made a, you made a really good point about one other thing that we're losing. Barack and Obama. That, Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> All of us are losing Barack Obama and there ain't nothing we can do about it. Right. And uh, our kids, especially the girls, have got me now on Instagram because they want me on Instagram, which is insane. <laughs> but, you know... It, in a way, it's good for me to look at Instagram maybe every four days just to see what they're doing, you know, yeah. just to keep an eye out. Sure. Uh, but going on Instagram and seeing uh, all of the people posting pictures of Barack Obama mm-hmm. and the comments are, love you, dad. Yep. Over and over. I mean, hundreds of love you, dad. Thanks, dad. Yep. Uh, n- you know. Looking forward to seeing you, Daddy. That kind of thing uh-huh. is uh, is is kind of sad <laughs> in a way. It is. I mean, it's it, it's, it's sad. just they're they're not going to have that in the White House anymore. And I remember, um, and when, we aren't either. I mean, I'm, exactly. I'm speaking for myself too. This is a and, loss. And and we can't, you know, 
this older white couple living in the cornfield <laughs> can uh, sympathize but can't empathize or vice versa right. with right. what this means for all those African-Americans who were crying in Grant Park yeah. the day Barack Obama won the election. Yeah. Who were, yeah. Who were just – who had finally, who never thought this day would come. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. And, and again, I, I'm not speaking for anybody but me. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, my ex is African-American. I've been to an AME church many, many, many times. Oh, your in-laws are a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. And uh, if this were 1952, they would be Republicans. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so real clear about, you know, I'm not speaking for anybody, but I'm not speaking entirely without experience, without, without mm -hmm. some sort of attachment. Mm -hmm. There is um, a sense of after seven and a half years of, of doing as good a job as you could really ask mm -hmm. from someone who is under enormous pressure from every direction and, and handled it, whether you like him or not, whether you think drones cancels everything else out, whether you think he was a failure and, I, and whether you think he kept it liberals at arm's length for four years, and I do. All of those criticisms on one side, he is leaving the White House as a graceful, a noble, uh, sensible, calm, decent man. And he's being treated like a nigger. Yeah. On his way in by the right and on his way out. Mm -hmm. He has been treated mm -hmm. like the uppity Negro who stole their White House mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, a, in a completely unremitting fashion since the day he was fucking elected until the day he leaves. Mm -hmm. And at no point in that arc has it ever gotten any better. It's just gotten yeah. worse and worse. And now Trump Trump has drawn the the monsters out of the woodwork and now they're out on oh, the Oh yeah. And they're showing Absolutely. their true colors. And if you are if you were hopeful about race relations, and I am over the long term, there is no way to look at this other than the fact that the Republican Party is an ugly shithole of racist assholes mm -hmm. who, mm -hmm. who have treated this guy with nothing but the back of their hand. And, and they would never have put up with this mm -hmm. for any other president. I mean, Bill Clinton took an edge of this. Bill Clinton was impeached, after all, for the you know, crime of being elected as a Democrat. But Barack Obama has been treated with such unremitting contempt and disrespect all the way up to his Supreme Court selection, um, shutting the government down, calling him a liar in the middle of his State of the Union address, on and on and on. And the whole Tea Party movement was a bunch of angry white assholes who couldn't stand the idea that this black guy was their president. Mm -hmm. And that is that's the legacy of the Republican Party during the uh, during the, the Obama years. And looking back at that, you I would have hoped that there would have, been, had, would have been some softening, some recognition somewhere on the right that, you know what, this guy wasn't the fucking Antichrist. Yep. Uh, we elected the worst president in American history in George Bush and reelected him. So now they have to – they had to make him a monster. You know, whoever the Democrat was going to be, they had to make him a monster because the only way they could live with themselves was to point to whoever was next and say, he's worse, she's worse, mm -hmm. they're worse. So they had to make him a monster, but they made him a they made him a caricature. They made him they pulled out every clan trick racist stop they could. And they and they've taken over the Republican Party. And mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. it makes me sad and furious that at no point during the last eight years has someone above the process, someone in authority, someone who could say that. Some like Paul Ryan. You know, you know, Paul, if you want to have a real commercial, turn to your own goddamn party and say, and we're going to kick the fucking racist out. Right. Because you can't do that. Because if you do that, you will never win another election. No, then you're a 10 percent like, party. You're a 10 percent party of wigs of 
country club Republicans who don't like taxes, right? And you're very well funded. Congratulations, but you have no voters. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to change gears again, Drift Glass. Speaking of that, uh, we're going to do Bible bitch. Bible bitch. That's not scriptural. Uh, and this is just uh, a reminder to all of us. I had a difficult week this week. I found out my sister uh, has cancer again, and uh, she faced cancer in 2013, and she has to face it again, and uh, that is horrible. And I'm, you know, I go through being angry and sad and hopeful and uh, all of the stages of grief that you go through, bargaining. Um, and being mom. And being mom and explaining to kids what's going on. And uh, the the thing is, uh, I, and I did, by the way, I talked to her this morning, and we're not terribly close. We don't talk to the, each other on the phone all that often, but we, of course, do have a shared history. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt as though um, she's really, I'm really proud of her. She's taking charge of her care. Uh, only women doctors this time, ah. she said, and good for her. You know, she's just, she said, I've had it. I've just had it, and I'm going to decide that I'm going to have women doctors. So good for her. And uh, this was found during a routine checkup, so hopefully they caught it early and, and she can just get back on her feet right away. We're all praying for her, and uh, she's surrounded by people that care about her, so that's that's a good thing. Uh, but in addition to that, it's been a rough week with the Sanders Clinton stuff and, and just feeling like, um, it's just stress, you know? And so, um, I wanted to say that if you have already voted in a primary, Uh um, it is perfectly okay now to go out to your garden (laughs) and grab a novel and and a beer or a, a beverage and sit down and take a break. And um, it is also okay to find an issue that you care about and maybe get that on the ballot or write a letter to your letter to the editor about it. And uh, if you do that and it gets published, send it to us because we want to share that on the Facebook page. Um, But Psalm 27 had some words that I needed to hear this week, and so I thought I'd share it with other people. This is from The Message, uh, which is a modern translation of the Bible that I use fairly often. Psalm 27. Light, space, zest. That's God. So with him on my side, I'm fearless, afraid of no one and nothing. When besieged, I'm calm as a baby. When all hell breaks loose, I'm collected and cool. I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway, far from the buzz of traffic. So, yeah, uh, take a break. Go <laughs> take a ball some game. refuge. Go see a take ball some game. Refuge. Yeah, watch a movie. Go to the park. Uh, yeah. So fix that. fix that fix that squeaky hinge that's been squeaking at you for a long time. <laughs> Break some leaves. Go do something. But walk away from this for a while. You're not abandoning the cause. No. It's just we're we're all, you know, as as the saying goes, wiping each other's noses with each other's shirt tails at this point. We're all Uh in each other's back pockets. And take a breath. Go outside. Step away from it. All the turmoil and all the (laughs) the hugga-mugga will still be there when you get back. Yep. Yep. All right. So, uh... I want to talk about Harvard for a minute. Um, yeah. I usually don't talk about this because there's no reason to. <laughs> I'm yeah. not like Ted Cruz. I don't wear my Harvard ring around when I'm, when I'm talking to people. 
Uh, but I am a graduate of, I have a master's degree from Harvard Divinity School. I do mention that when I write at Crooks and Liars about religion, because I find that it uh, keeps the comments yeah. kinder. <laughs> if they realize I'm speaking as an academic, I have academic credentials to talk about religion, they realize I'm not proselytizing, or at least I hope they realize I'm not proselytizing. I, I'm going to talk about Harvard abortion and the Panama Papers all yeah. at once. <laughs> I, I wanted to hear how you did this. So. How I tie all these together. Yeah, this is tinkers to Everest to chance. So got a Got my big, thick envelope from Harvard like I get every year to vote for the uh, board of directors of the Harvard Alumni Association and also the Harvard Board of Overseers. These are people who uh, have time and energy and resources and a Harvard diploma huh. and uh, are able to volunteer but they have to be elected by the alumni, but they go, they volunteer to go and be um, overseers for the university. And uh, usually, I always open it up and look at it, because usually there's a celebrity or two on the ballot. Uh, one year, John Lithgow ran for alumni. Stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, usually you see stuff interesting. Who's who's the celebrity this year who's, who's running for these positions? Well, the celebrity this year is Ralph Nader. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, and fine. Ra Ralph Nader and another uh, couple of candidates have been put on the ballot by petition. They have not been uh, suggested by anyone at Harvard to be on the ballot. They they are crash, crashing the gate, literally. Uh, all good for them. Um, all of them are qualified, but they are running on a platform. And the platform is Free Harvard, Fair Harvard. Um, on their website, Free Harvard, Fair Harvard, there is dot no, it's freeharvard.org. Um, they have uh, an argument <clears throat> that Harvard University has become a hedge fund. The ah. endowment of Harvard is so huge, having been around since six, the 1600s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Harvard graduates are successful and uh, Harvard's endowment is successful at raising money from those people that Harvard now... Uh, not only could pay the tuition of every single undergraduate at the school, they could pay the tuition every year for 25, 24 other schools, <laughs> the same size as Harvard, on the income from uh -huh. their investments, not right. from not dipping into the principal, <laughs> the no. principal at all. They could no. pay the full tuition of 25 undergraduate Harvard schools schools full schools yeah. full schools everybody and so oprah uh, money you're talking about oprah we're money. we're talking about massive massive oprah money yeah and uh the other thing that uh these uh this group of people are advocating for is uh, a more transparent admissions process um there is a lot of legacy hiring that goes on at har at harvard and institutions like harvard uh, you know, if your dad grew, graduated from Harvard, you have an in. Uh, and there is also, uh, it really appears to be uh, non-race blind admissions for um, Harvard. And I know this is true at MIT, too. Uh, race blind admissions in the, it turned out in the 80s, doing race blind admissions at MIT meant you had a 90% Asian student body. And uh they didn't want to have that. They wanted diversity, uh -huh. <laughs> and, and that was – they couldn't get diversity. 
uh, because the test scores were high and, and that's just, that's the way this was. Um, so they stopped race blind admissions at MIT at one point, I think in the early nineties. Uh, and so Harvard's, this, this group of people, including Ralph Nader want to have a more, more transparent, uh, admissions process to not just have rich kids getting into Harvard. Right. Um, and, you know, all of this is very good. Uh, it's, it's a good conversation to have. But it brings up the question, which is um, free stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. okay, so you get into Harvard, you're going to have a free education. Yes, you are. <laughs> because yep. the squirrels at Harvard can get a dipl- can get a grant. You know, yeah. it's just, it's not, it's, they are so wealthy, they can pay for everybody 25 times. Um and this is true of abortion also. This is yes. what I want to get into is, yes. you know, we always talk, the, the old joke, life is a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat. Uh-huh. It's true of abortion. It's true of uh, education. And it's true of taxes. Uh-huh. Taxes are for little people. Taxes are for, uh, you know, people who can't afford to put large, to hire a Panamanian law firm <laughs> yep. and to, to create a shell company for you. Right. And so... Uh, you know, this is this is something that we really are going to have a lifelong fight against. Uh, and I loved this article that appeared today. I believe it was today um, in The Guardian. And it was uh, Colin Holtz wrote it. And he said, um, we have the money to solve our problems. The first step is to stop the global elite from hoarding and hiding it. Yeah. Cracking down on tax evasion alone will not fund all our priorities but the Panama Papers do put the lie to the politics of austerity. And I quoted this in a post over at Crooks and Liars, and, and the title of my post is, GOP can't say how do we pay for it ever, 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 ever well, again. Well, shouldn't. That's certainly true. They will do well, to say it. but They will say it, and, and we can point to the Panama Papers, which, by the way— yeah. Uh, the law firm involved with this leak with the Panama Papers is only the fourth largest bank exactly. involved in shell shell exactly. organizations. So, can I make um, one analogy? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Better Government Association and the Sun Times, I think, uh, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years ago, got a hold of and published the Chicago clout list. Uh huh. The spreadsheet of people on who you know who who've given political contributions or political people who have a special in, who had a special in at the city of Chicago. And I knew several people on the list. It wasn't that they were good or bad, but they were on a special list of people who yes. got favors and got jobs and would never be touched during a recession. It was one, only one of many, many clout lists that were out there. Yeah. And once yeah. you got the, oh my God, how many people are wired into this system? Yeah. This is only one small piece of the entire puzzle. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, the entire global economic system is corrupt. Yep. Yep. And it's, and designed, it's going to take you know, a lifetime of all of us committed to fixing it. Yeah. Uh, this is the tip of the iceberg. So um, let's get there. Let's 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 start that drift class. Let's get to <laughs> social justice. Let's become I've got an idea. Let's become social justice warriors. <laughs> well, and at the end of the day, I mean, there are many islands you can buy and self-contained, you know, environments you can create for yourself. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there's no place for the wealthy to go. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There is there is no Elysium hover, you know, in orbit above the Earth. There's no secret project to build a space station. And by the way, space stations as living environments suck and they're incredibly expensive and they're not self-sustaining. And they smell like urine. They do. They smell like pee. <laughs> and and the International Space Station is awesome. I wish I could visit there, but that's it. I mean, there's 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 not a lot of engineering you can do in Earth orbit that will take the richest people in the universe um, away from the problems of the planet where they live. Yeah, right. And so at some point, it's going to be, look, you live here too. Mm-hmm. And unless you have become transhuman, unless you found a way to download your consciousness into a machine and you don't give a shit about the concerns of humans anymore, then you're stuck with us. Mm-hmm. And you're stuck with rising tides. And you're stuck with famine. And you know what? Once you create enough anger and hatred and hunger and desperation, those people will fucking find you and they will make you pay. Maybe like Roosevelt, the smart thing to do would be to save capitalism Mm -hmm. by giving the poor and the working class something to hang on to and something to hope for. Yep. All right. And finally, I want to talk about the 1924 Democratic National Convention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to preface this by talking about 1964 before we talk about 1924. Because in ni- what happened in 1964, Drift Glass? Nothing. It was awesome. I was three years old, and it was all awesome. <laughs> I know the, uh, there was a nomination fight at the Republican convention uh, in which— I'm, uh, I'm thinking about—I'm actually just thinking about the Civil Rights Act. Oh, yes. No, no. The, and what happened to the two—the names of the two parties and what happened then in 1964 yeah, no, the, the, uh, is they switched. They switched. <laughs> they began their long transformation one into the other. The, all one into the, the other. The the uh, the narrow minded, angry, bigot assholes uh, began their long exodus, which actually began in the 40s, mm-hmm. uh, right. Be- continued their long and occasionally bumpy exodus out of the Democratic Party and into the party of Jefferson Davis, as it shall mm-hmm. henceforth be known. And all of the other people, the the working class, the various coalitions of, of women and minorities, people who have to live in this world. Uh, and her, who seek justice for their cause through some form or another, uh, became the Democratic Party. Right. And that's the So history. when I talk about the Democrats of 1924, I am talking about Dixiecrats. I'm talking about a political party that was dominated by white supremacist Southerners. And they were. They and really they were. were. Yep. And, and they the hated reason Lincoln. I came, they hated Lincoln. <laughs> they really did. They hated Lincoln. They did. And the reason I came across this 1924 Democratic National Convention is I wanted to find out about second ballots. I wanted to find out about some of the uh, convention lore that happens when there are more when there is more than one ballot. So I could talk about the Republican convention. But the 1924 Democratic National Convention had 103 ballots. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the reasons it had 103 ballots is because the Klan was there. Yeah. And this convention was nicknamed the Klan Bake. Yeah, that cracked me up. Really? Just gives you all you need to know. It was held at Madison Square Garden, of all places, in 1924. It took 103 ballots to nominate uh, Davis and Bryan. And it is, uh, it's an astonishing story. The... Um, and it's Charles W. Bryan, not William Jennings Bryan, right. is the vice president. He was from Nebraska. And 
<laughs> he's the vice presidential nominee. None of this matters now because Calvin no. Coolidge was reelected. Yes. But uh, the Klan was there because they did not want a Roman Catholic candidate to be nominated. And those papists will take us over, right. And Al Smith from New York was Catholic. And, of course, you know, in 1924, you'd had this huge influx of immigrants from Europe, many of whom were Catholic, uh, holding on to major cities in the Northeast. And so there was a lot of, and including New York City. (laughs) Are you referring to my people? There, yes, uh, blue I, am, I am referring in part to your people, yeah. but also Italians yeah. and yes. and so forth. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, the the popularity of the Klan had already surged after World War One, uh-huh. and uh, it was popular all over the South, of course. Yes, and had a lot of local political strength. And and I mean, I could go on and on about it, but there was actually a KKK platform plank that was voted on. Uh, let me read this part from the Wikipedia page. Oh, please do. The dis- another dispute of the convention revolved around an attempt by non-Klan delegates <laughs> to condemn the Ku Klux Klan for its violence in the Democratic Party's platform. Klan delegates defeated the platform plank in a series of floor debates. The final vote on condemning the Ku Klux Klan was 542.85 in favor wow. and 546.15 against. So the plank condemning the KKK was not included in the platform. <sighs> to celebrate, <laughs> tens of thousands of hooded, hooded Klansmen rallied in a field in New Jersey across the river from New York City. This event, known subsequently as the Klan Bake, was also attended by hundreds of Klan delegates to the convention. Uh-huh. Burned crosses urged violence and intimidation against African Americans and Catholics and attacked effigies of Al Smith. The notoriety of the Klan Bake convention and the violence it produced cast a lasting shadow over the Democratic Party's prospects in future elections. Uh-huh. And they contributed to their resounding defeat by incumbent Republican President Calvin Coolidge. Do you see any similarities here between what is being predicted for Cleveland and what's going on here? Because I kind of do. Well, in this case, the Donald Trump lie that I saw thousands and thousands of people of celebrating is true. <laughs> There really were thousands and thousands of un-American, terrorist-affiliated assholes Mm -hmm. celebrating in New Jersey uh, the defeat of any attempts to rein them in or scold them or reprimand them for being who they were. They were out. They were proud. They believed in what they believed in. This um, this was a holy war. Yeah, they don't burn hubcaps; they burn crosses. This is this is something uh, to loop a little bit back to Andrew Sullivan. I I won't take it far back. Andrew Sullivan wrote a really disparaging sort of sneery column in like just two or three years ago, 2013 or 14, about how Americans don't understand what what it's like to live in a country where there was a holy war, where there was a religious war. I live wow. in a country where, you know, uh, the, the, the Irish, the, the Catholics and the Protestants and the tombstones and the history was, oh, my God, it was awful. But Americans don't understand this shit. Yeah, we do. In yeah, our country, we it's totally called, do. It's called the Klan. It's called civil yeah. rights. This was a terrorist organization. That, that ran whole states, that ran proto-fascist states inside of my country yep. for generations and murdered people in the thousands, waged a war 
uh, not because of some political difference, Mm -hmm. but because their vision of God, which is George Wallace's vision of God, directly conflicted with Martin Luther King's vision of God, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Um, They believed that white men were endowed by God to rule over the earth by divine right. And they Mm -hmm. fought and died for that, and they're still fighting for it. So, yeah. There's a little bit of parallel here, and there is a straight line. You can draw an absolute straight line between that piece of American history and what's going to go down in Cleveland in July. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, because as you say, Donald Trump has given white supremacists permission to come out of the woodwork and be who they are. And if you you mm -hmm. don't see it, it's because you don't want to see it, not because it's not there. You choose to avoid looking at what your party really is and facing your responsibilities. (laughs) For cleaning out the fucking stables before you before you rebuild and fantasize about the super awesome party you're going to have ten years from now. Yeah, you have a certain yep. responsibility to help kill the rabid dog you helped create. Yep. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's internet kitty is Xena Warrior Princess. Ah! <laughs> her name emerged from her battle for life. She was rescued from a chain link fence. And she stopped breathing en route to the vet, but she was revived. She doesn't meow. She makes high-pitched squeaks and squeals because that is the song of her people. (laughs) (laughs) And she is one year old as of last week. So happy birthday, Zena. So she's a refugee from a chain link, is she? (laughs) (laughs) She, I don't know. She got caught in a chain link fence and she was very sick. And now she's a one-year-old cat. Living the life yeah. and singing the song of her people and way good for her. Now, way to go. Yeah. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We do love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go, Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, even an iced one, buy one for us. And don't forget our Amazon link at our website. We've heard from people who bought from Amazon through our website. We so appreciate that. It really does help us. We believe in buying local, and we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is a big box or chain store. Thank you very much for doing that. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com for details, or just Google Professional Left, it comes right up. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. So Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, in the interest of history, the Internet Kitties would like to remind the Republican Party that Lyndon LaRouche is still alive and still objectively less crazy than both Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. Let's think about living. Think about living. Let's think about loving. Think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the popping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the wine and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2016, Drift Glass, Blue Gal Podcast. 
Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. Science Fiction University, we are now reading your stories, some ones that slipped through the cracks of our email system. Mm -hmm. We have four short or short, short stories to read, and uh, these are ones that we forgot, and we're sorry. Yes. And so we're going to start with Eric's, and like I said, these are four four of them, but uh, two of them are short, 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 short. So we'll get through these. And do you want to read Eric's, or do you want me to read Eric's? All right. I'll read Eric's. Eric's story. Just another puppet government. With his remaining hand, Jorge Luis Alvaron brushed a lock of hair over the hole left in his skull by the assassin's second bullet. Outside the windows of the presidential palace, he could hear women screaming as his security forces began making arrests. He studied his face in the mirror. The features were rugged, emotionless, strong. The reflection betrayed nothing. Except for the conspicuously disheveled hair, he looked no different than he had moments before when the shooting had interrupted his address from the balcony. This illusion was enhanced by the absence of any blood from his wound. Alvaron, like all the others of his class, did not bleed. Hector Reyes, Alvaron's engineer, spun around his charge like a spider. Laser pencil flashes punctuated his movements, interspersed with Spanish and English obscenities in a vernacular peculiar for its lack of malice. Critiquing the performance from the wing chair on the opposite side of the heavy draped office was the Americano Jack Sprague, a representative of the United States Central Intelligence Agency. How bad is it? asked Sprague between attempts to resuscitate a moribund cigar. Hector Reyes glared in his general direction. Maron, he said, look at him. He's fucking lucky to still be standing. If this lunatic was a better aimer, he would have blown away his head instead of just a piece of face and one lousy hand. Ay, madre, see the Alvaron's head. These are his nerves. There isn't nothing harder to patch than this. Why can't they have shoot him in his cojones? These he does not need. You can fix him? A billow of yellow smoke signaled Sprague's latest incendiary triumph. Hector Reyes glares Hector Reyes's glare deepened. I'm fixing him now. With the overemphasis of an amateur magician, the engineer began to reconstruct Alvaron's severed hand. You really know how to pronounce that name. Alvar- I can't even do that with Alvaron. my name. Alvaron. Yeah. Alvaron. It's uh, many years of high school, well, two years of failed high school Spanish and two years of <laughs> successful high school Spanish. Where, where my Spanish teacher made, if you blew your rolling R's, mm-hmm. uh, he made you sit in front of the class with a toy motorcycle and go (laughs) until he realized that the boys like doing that because they can look up the girls skirts (laughs) and then he stopped doing it uh okay so this is called just another puppet government yes uh it's a robot story maybe Mm -hmm. and we don't know if is that science fiction do stories containing robots is that automatically science fiction Oh okay. yeah, they're repairing him with you know laser, yeah um, tools and 
working with the CIA and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, that's this is. But you could take this in a direction that wouldn't necessarily be science, sciency. I mean, it could just be that this oh, yeah. robot is is part of the plot, and the real story is about the CIA. You know, I, I would hope so. In, yeah, installing this puppet. <laughs> Literal, and he's literally a, a robot. I yeah. get it. Uh, it's well written, it and um, I like the disheveled hair and yeah. and the whole description of the shooting and him leaning back and you know realizing he's been shot. But the, there's self awareness in this robot, but mm -hmm. uh, you know he's he never speaks. The robot never speaks. No. in this, no, which is he unusual. studied his face in the mirror, but mm -hmm. he's not. He doesn't speak. Okay, and I like the. Uh, it, it, it was very good. I could s clearly see the uh, engineers spinning around like a spider. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like they do, going around and around, touching up here and there. Laser pencil flashing. That's a nice touch. That's a very visual touch. And, yeah, Hector Reyes is a very, the engineer is a very uh, identifiable character. He is. Yeah, yeah. He's the goddamn yeah. tech. And Yeah, it's going to be He's a goddamn week, okay? <laughs> Unless the drywall guys don't show up. <laughs> it's going to be two weeks. <laughs> Everybody knows that guy. Yes, we all know that guy. Yeah. So it's, that's good. It's very vivid. I, I don't see any reason why. I mean, I like science fiction stories that don't focus on the gadgets. Mm -hmm. That focus mm -hmm. on, except when they fail. I mean, you know, that's what makes it interesting. When the when the air when the when the airlock blows or the ship can't, uh, or the ship has a stowaway like the cold equations, or something fails. Um, when the nuclear reactor is about to melt down, that's when the story gets interesting, and that and there's, there's just enough of that in here, uh, I uh, to to uh, move it in that direction. I want to know what year it takes place in, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. this could be 1960. It could. Be, I was going to say it could be the early 70s. It could yeah. be you know Nixon Kissinger messing around by putting a robot in charge of some Absolutely. Central American country. Yeah, pretty easily. And, yeah, and that would make it. You would add another level of, what the hell, man? Yeah. Where did this technology come from in the 60s? Are and that lets you put a lot of social history in there, too, which would be fun. It would be a, a easy tool to, you know, it's leisure suit season. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. Uh, but it could also be the future, you know, there's or the not too distant future, mm -hmm. if you want to do it that way. But Yeah, but this is good. This is a good this this is a, a good um, I want to say John Le Carre's story. I was going to say you could write a whole novel. Yeah. This, this could be the beginning of a novel. This doesn't have to be a short story. Mm -hmm. The uh, quietly functioning American robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but good job, good start. Uh, keep going if you're if you're gonna if if this was just for the exercise, that's fine. But uh, this has got legs. You should definitely yeah. move it forward. Definitely. All right. Well, I'm going to read Jim's. All right. I'm I'm turning my pages here. We're working with actual physical pages, so you'll hear We some. always work with actual physical printed out pages, yes, so we can write on them and so forth. Okay, this is uh, Chapter 1, An Interview with the Director by Jim. Uh -huh. What do you think of the Mellif, Dr. Kyler? The director leaned back and gave Kyler a you-have-my-undivided-attention gaze. Kyler wanted to stall a moment. Just what does the boss want? The director's office was singularly unimpressive. A clean desk, a couple of couches, 
The walls were primarily decorated with photographs of children and grandchildren, baby portraits and graduation snaps. The only concession to the civil service was that the president's official portrait had pride of place. Hmm. Kyler noted that it was easily accessible for a fast swap out. The smiling children were there for the long haul. If anyone had an opportunity to amass shots of himself standing next to the movers and shakers of Xanth, it was the director. They were nowhere to be seen. This was not the office of an important person, and that always made Kyler chuckle. The director had the advantage from the moment you glanced at his wall. Kyler spoke. Mellif has a large population and a sustainable economy. I'd estimate... I didn't ask you what you know about the sons of bitches. I asked what you thought about them. Uh-huh. All right. I like the... the that's it. So that's yep. all I got. The... Um, yeah, what you can tell by what, what pictures a person has up on their wall is really good. That's... Mm -hmm. That's nice. Um, there's there's always those details in a room. Mm -hmm. Somewhere is somewhere in the room. There's their favorite book, mm -hmm. or there's mm -hmm. a lamp that they've carried through three apartment moves because it yep. means something to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and finding mm -hmm. those details in your head is uh, is a good place to start. Uh, yeah, I assume this is science fiction since we're referring to uh, Melif. I've never heard of that place. It, it's a planet, or it's a continent, or it's a something. Mm -hmm. And it has a large well, population. Well, and shakers of Xanth. Xanth yes. and Melif are fictional places somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. mentioned the civil service, and I assume that that's also a foreign. I mean, we'll, when, once you get into the story more, figure out mm -hmm. what's going on. But that basically what's here is that description of the director's office. And uh, I like how you use the pictures and how you can swap out the picture of the president for quickly. <laughs> depending. That's good. Depending, depending on how the coup goes. Yeah. Yep. So I Very good. I have it's it's a little too short to to run with any further than that, but mm -hmm. as an opening mm -hmm. it's just fine. Uh it it is in fact an opening. It does yeah. jump you in the middle of something and uh keep moving in that in the direction that your writing's already taking you and uh let us know how it goes. All right, let's switch these and you read Paul's. All right, hold on a moment. Paul, gotcha. All right. All right. Man, this is a short one, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is more of a haiku than a story. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's all right. it's from Paul, and I think he, uh, he has tried. some good descriptive stuff in here. So yeah. go ahead and read. Oh that. yeah, no, it's 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 fine. I'm uh, I, and now I begin. I woke netted to a bunk in a dimly lit gray cube. One brig looks about like any other, but the dank stench was unmistakable. A frothy mixture of mold, mildew, and mouse droppings topped off with a sheen of machine oil. I thought I was going to get away this time, but there I was back on the Tokyo sex whale. Christ, what a nightmare. The prickling on the inside of my left, left wrist from my watch tat told me it was third watch and my queasy gut told me I was in free fall. I tabbed the net release and grabbed one of my deck soles as it drifted by and fastened it to my left shoe. Indentured crewman 703-685-2177 reporting for duty. All right. So 
drifted by, does that mean that this is a... Uh, he's in free fall. Free, free fall, is that, does that mean he's in a zero-gravity environment? Yes. Okay. Yes. All now, right. whether he's in interplanetary free fall, whether he's um, in, in, uh, on a, in an orbit, mm-hmm. we don't know. He's in a brig mm-hmm. somewhere, so he's in something mm-hmm. big. Um, mm-hmm. and, a, and a brig means, you know, Navy, or at least... Yeah. The um, background of a navy. The mm-hmm. smells are very clear. Yeah, I like the frothy mixture. I like I like mm-hmm. that description, and I like the um, topped off with a sheen of machine oil. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the shoe, you know, the shoe floating by, and that, that that's the first thing you're going to do is grab your shoe. Yeah, it, uh, I I'd like to see the rest of the story. I'd like yeah. I'd like to see because since it's so um, it's very short and but it's so descriptive, um, and I don't feel I usually throw books across the room when they have 500 adjectives in the first page because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you're just trying way too hard. But this is not this is uh, the adjectives you're using are uh, used well. So um, and and, they- I, and and I like how you interrupt it the description with Christ, what a nightmare, because we need to hear from this guy. You know? And he was back on there. Mm-hmm. He was back mm-hmm. on the Tokyo sex whale. Yeah. He's, he's been here before for some reason. Yeah. And he's an yeah. indentured crewman. So he is not here voluntarily. He's a prisoner or he's there working off a debt, yep. something like that. Yeah. So all you've done is, is pique our interest, which is what you've you're set up the story supposed yep. to do. You're supposed to tease Tease! Don't take off your top, for God's sakes. <laughs> you can leave your hat. But he on. did. He 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 answered the Tokyo sex whale challenge he and did. also the waking up in the morning challenge. He it wasn't did. the alarm. It wasn't the alarm. He didn't have an alarm clock go off. But no. waking up in the morning, he woke in jail. In jail, yeah. and uh, and he's uh, reporting for duty. Mm-hmm. And we're about to find out what that duty is. Yeah. Yeah. Aboard the Tokyo so, sex whale. Keep writing. Keep writing. That's keep going. terrific. All right. Um, this is from our friend Scott. And um, Scott sent many, many more than four paragraphs. So I cut this. Uh-huh. And this is a uh, segment of what he wrote. So I can't. And I, I read the whole thing once through, but I really just wanted to grab a chunk of it so we could have something for the show. Uh-huh. And so I don't exactly remember where the story goes, but I wanted to analyze some of the writing and then uh, people can hear it. All right. So this is from Scott. There are worse things than death. The Alberetta Maroon was gliding silently along so smoothly she seemed to not be moving at all. That's the way it's always been, he realized. For all of the time, people have felt as if they were standing still and that it was the rest of the universe that was moving, at one point taking it to such foolish extremes as to think all of creation revolved around Earth, around humanity, the vanity, self-importance, and plain old arrogance that it took on the part of society to not simply think but actually insist that they were the center of all of creation. What a grand cosmic joke that turned out to be. Well, he thought, his anxious mind jumping haphazardly, of course the Albie is cruising along smooth as glass. It's not like we're going to run into waves, swells, or potholes out here in deep space. Jimmy, I wonder if he's in the same boat. 
If he hadn't been scared half to death, he might have chuckled at the unintended pun in the same boat. He'd gotten himself into this boat when he signed up to crew for this run shortly after Tigger died. The Greyhound had been his only companion after Teresa passed. For years, he'd been so busy swallowing in self-pity that he didn't even notice when his friends stopped trying to cheer him up, stopped trying to get him to do things together, just stopped trying. So when he saw the Transgalactic was hiring crew members for the Fantarian run, he jumped at the chance. Most of his family were gone, friends who were close had become distant, and he hadn't had any co-workers since the accident. The insurance settlement left him more than enough to retire on, and he just hadn't been able to motivate himself to get out into the world and do anything. Besides, Tigger was always there, always at his side. The big gray goof was as faithful a friend as anyone could ever hope for. Now he was gone, too. 216 years, give or take a decade or two. That's the total time they'd be gone by the time it was over. It was 106 there, 106 back, and four years to load the Albi with the ore, oils, and seeds from the indigenous plants of Fantra. Everyone he'd ever known would be long dead by the time he got back, even his brother, and Jeff had a way of surviving everything. They'd all be gone. And that was the whole idea. All right. Well, the most vivid description of it is of his dog. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's as it should be. Because mm-hmm. that's what he lost. Yep. So he's a big gray goof of a beast, and uh, it was his com- constant companion. It was the only source of his um, humanity once he lost everything else. And then he was gone, too. And it was time to just up and do something. So he, apparently on a whim, uh, decided he was going to crew on a ship that was going to be gone for 216 years. Mm-hmm. So that leaves a lot of questions open, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I assume you're traveling at or near the speed of light. So that you have time, to be, yeah, for so, two centuries, sure. Well, so that time passage on Earth is is, you know, time will pass on Earth differently than aboard the ship. Right. The relativistic um, effects will be felt by you. So, um, or <laughs> he's literally going to be gone for 216 years, which is a, is a totally different story. He'll be awake yep. the whole time and kicking around the whole time, or he'll be in suspended animation the whole time or something else. But, um, yeah, the whole idea of uh, this is a, um, a French Foreign Legion story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea is is to leave your old life behind. So my question is, for the author, mm-hmm. um, is this story going to be about his travels aboard the ship? Um, or is it going to be about the planet that they arrive at? Mm-hmm. Which has already been visited once, obviously. Yeah, right. So right. apparently this is way far in the future. Mm-hmm. Because... There have already, there's already been at least one, possibly several trips to this planet. It's been discovered. It's been named. It has stuff that we want. And it takes a century to get there and back. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if you're not traveling much, if you're traveling close to the speed of light, then radio communication, et cetera, is just about as fast as you're traveling anyway. 
So you have to, this has got to be a thousand years in the future. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing mm -hmm. something like that. Um, so I, what he, the world he's leaving behind is already radically different than our world. Mm -hmm. And the world he's going to come back to is going to be even more radically different than our world. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to hear about those two places. Mm -hmm. As the as yeah. your editor, I would like to hear about the world he's leaving and why he hates it, uh, or why he just has lost interest in it, and the world he he's going to come back to, and so forth. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, guys. I'm glad we got caught up with this. I hope we haven't missed anybody. Again, if we've missed you, email us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we have posted to our Facebook page and Twitter stream and links at our blogs. Uh, two pictures. We did this last week. Two pictures of science fiction cover art. And we are asking you to write four paragraphs and paste them into an email mm -hmm. uh, based on one of these pictures. Pick one, whatever one you want. Mm-hmm. And then use that to inspire you in whatever way you want to write four paragraphs. Mm -hmm. That this is the cover art for your story. And uh, you can, uh, again, send that to us by Wednesday, April 13th at midnight. And it's just four paragraphs pasted into an email to proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Please put submission in your subject line. Mm-hmm. And we will read them on the air and talk about them. Yes, we will. and we've already gotten a few. Yeah, we've gotten a couple already. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought about doing one. We'll see. Maybe I'll slip one in. Yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. This is <laughs> oh, just I can't even terrible. do recall on this. Yeah, I can't Barf. remember anything about this story. It's like <laughs> a marshmallow made of mayonnaise. It's nothing. It's air pudding. It's nothing. My fear is I could slip something in. Uh, from some fake email address, yeah. and you would still know it was me. Yeah, I would. Like, oh, come on, Blue Gal, you wrote this. Come Whatever. On, baby, come on. <laughs> Don't try to put one over on, 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 on Drift Glass over here. Oh, Papa yeah. Drift Glass, you can't Papa fool Drift me. Glass, you can't do that. Yeah. I know. All right. Going. All right. You All right, sure baby. do. You sure, sure do. Well, thank you, everybody. Yeah. And we'll look forward. Next week, we'll start reading your submissions, and we look forward to it. Or we might take a little break. Yeah, well, you know, we haven't we haven't had a visit from Dogface Herman in a while. We miss him. So we do. We, do. we love Dogface Herman. Yeah. So well, but I think we're going to get to these stories because I'm I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And uh, uh, maybe maybe hey, Dogface Herman, if you're listening, uh, send us an email and update us about the horses, would you? Yeah. Let us know how the how the horses are going and how you're doing. How you're doing. Yeah. All right. We're thinking about you. All right, everybody. Thank you. Love, love you, Drift Glass. Love you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>